0: Welcome back to Left Anchor I'm Brian Cooper
1: And I'm Alexi the Greek
0: And uh, a, a glorious welcome to my friend and colleague Jeff Spross
2: Hi everyone, how you doing?
1: Damn it, he's my friend too
0: <laughs> Well, yes, that's,
2: yeah, that so is guess, technically uh, the case
1: Coops, Coops, our friend, okay? Our friend
2: do, do, I, do I need to like tell people what I do? What my, my place <laughs> in society is? I think you better in this okay. capitalist so,
1: regime, Jeff, how can we appraise your value without knowing your status and your job and all the things you contribute that, to society?
2: That is an excellent question. Uh, so, yeah, I am. I am one of Ryan's colleagues at the Week. Uh, my official title is the business and economic. Excuse me, the business and economics correspondent. Enunciation is important. Business and economics correspondent for the Week. Uh, been there four years. Um. Yeah, so I, I write four or five takes a week on things going on in the business and economics world, and I used to fight with people on Twitter, and I've tried to stop that.
0: Why? Why would you?
2: <laughs> I'm getting old, and I need to worry about my mental health.
0: Um, yeah, welcome, Jeffs. So, yeah, today we're, today we're going to start off talking about the, um, well, the kind of issue of climate change, and uh, business and economics, actually. So hopefully Jeff will provide some salient uh, insight there. And um, so this might go under the heading of uh, the kind of Green New Deal that people are beginning to talk about, which is to say the big kind of investment boom that is going to have to happen in order to kind of decarbonize the world economy, and move us to a more sustainable type of of social structure i guess and um I guess what I first kind of wanted to discuss was the 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 general i don't know what you might kind of call like hair shirt environmentalism the uh the idea that you know. Uh, you know America is living in a very wasteful very consumerist society um we're just you know we got, we got eating too uh eating too much we're drinking too much ouzo and too much beer and <laughs> and um you know living too high on the hog and what we're all gonna have to do is kind of kind of like dial things back and uh be live much more efficient maybe much more primitive lives akin to our kind of pre-capitalist ancestors even in order to deal with climate change and um, yeah I guess so uh, maybe just as a as an initial comment here you know I, I think there's certainly a pretty large grain of truth in that insofar as that Americans especially but also Australians and Canadians uh, are are terrible at this too, do live very wasteful and inefficient lives, they're emitting tons and tons and tons of carbon dioxide. And um at the very least our our uh our society is going to have to become much more efficient in terms of their energy consumption, probably in terms of the type of diets that people have, you know, like beef and lamb is extremely wasteful in terms of carbon dioxide. But I think that's kind of logically distinct from this kind of self-flagellatory, hair-shirt environmentalism, um, you know, because I think you could you could have a society with as much luxury, more mostly as much luxury, perhaps not as much uh, transfer, uh, you know, transportation and flying. That's another thing. Um, but where people don't have to work that hard and they don't have to go back to deliberately inefficient ways of doing things. Like there's this guy, Paul Kingsnorth, this kind of poet fellow who...
1: It's a nice name. Yeah. It's a very
0: nice name. I wish, I wish I was, yeah. Um, something out of like a fantasy book, but he's all about (laughs) how like people are going to have to learn how to use a scythe again, you know, like mowing the grass with a, with (laughs) a big scythe. And, um, I mean, it's perfectly,
1: you know. I'll use a scythe as as long as you don't come for my ouzo. You scared me when you said you were coming for my (laughs) ouzo. And then you you mentioned I can't eat lamb. Are you trying to just erase all Greek culture? What's wrong with you?
0: It's my anti-Greek prejudice. Um, I knew it. I knew it. So anyway, I think you could have a a decent life, maybe somewhat less luxurious than it is today. Um, And also, you know, have, very, you know, be totally based on renewables, very low carbon, zero carbon types of uh, lifestyle, in my view. So I don't know who who wants to weigh in on that.
2: Where do we where do we want to start? Like, like, how likely is actually hair shirt environmentalism to be in terms of necessity of getting onto a sustainable carbon path?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I would ask it as slightly different. I would say, uh, to what extent Right, is that necessary, or to what extent is that kind of, as as Koops, uh, put it, just like a self flagellating cultural type of choice that isn't isn't the way things have to be? There can be a, a different way forward. So, what w- what are the options before us?
2: So, I guess the first thing I would say, and I should point out, like I'm not this I'm not an expert. I did I did report on like climate economics specifically for Think Progress for like two years, so like I know I know this field somewhat. Um, but sound like an expert to me. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't dived into like steady state economics or all that shit, that kind of thing. Um, also,
1: we're not liberals, so we don't need the pedigree experts, right? <laughs> too, <though. Yeah. laughs>
2: Fuck expertise, man. <laughs> um. So the first thing I would say is like, I think we just don't know, right? Like I. I mean, there there is a biosphere, um, and it had like there are certain things we take from it in terms of food, water, like crap we dump into the atmosphere, crap we dump into other like portions of the ecosystem, and it can't take you know it's not infinitely uh, what am I it it, it 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 it's not invincible. You can only put so much pressure on it before it collapses, and we're stressing a lot of those systems to the limit. The question is like. Whether or not we have to be stressing them to that limit to achieve the kind of economic growth we want, and I think right now we just have no idea. Um, I know, like just in energy systems, uh, like the amount of the amount of efficiency, the amount of inf- efficiency increase we've already had since the 1970s has actually been enormous, uh, which I think is an indication of just like we haven't – it's not something anybody gave a shit about until recently, right? It's just not something we thought about and so we did it when it was profitable and we haven't really had like an effort to go in and uh, say, okay, we want to like squeeze every bit of efficiency we can out of these systems in a systemic way and we're not going to do it just when like price signals like prod us to do it. We're going to do it as kind of a, a comprehensive policy, like I don't know what we could achieve if we did that. I have no how. I have no idea how far that would go, um, and I don't really think anyone else does either. Uh, the other thing I would say is just like expanding that point. Um, you know, to have an economy that is ecologically sustainable, like you know, we'd have to go through our water use systems. Uh, you know, water doesn't go away, but like when it circles back into the ecosystem, it's maybe polluted or it's the wrong temperature or it just like we shoot it underground to press oil back to the surface or God only knows what. Um, Or we take it out of certain uh, watershed geographic locations where we take too much out at once. Uh, So we have to look at that kind of thing. Um, And then you can spread that same logic out to food systems and and everything else. So we just have to like go through all these systems and figure out how much we can take, uh, at what pace we can take it, and at what... I mean, they do regenerate, right? Like, these are biological systems, so they repair themselves. It's just a question of, like, how much can we be taking from them and over what time can we take it? Um, And then the question becomes, how much economic growth can we squeeze out of what we can take? And uh, there's not an infinitely elastic excuse me, there's not an infinitely elastic relationship between those two things. But I think so far it looks like the the relationship is pretty elastic, right? Like, I mean, there's an enormous amount, like, I think the, like, crude version of the, the hair shirt argument is just like, you know, that there's a kind of one-to-run relationship between, like, units of GDP growth and units of stress on the ecosystem. And that's, that's not correct. Like, I mean, you could have... Mm. I mean, GDP growth is just like measures of income. For Christ's sake, I mean, That's it's how like you, you do could, it right, right, right. It's it. like yeah. you could, you know, the same amount of income earned from working in the oil industry versus like working, uh, I don't know, like probably, ev- probably even like designing an app for Silicon Valley, like earning the same amount of income doing that as you would do in like the oil industry. You're talking about an enormous, like a huge difference. In ecological impact and like that's not even like that's before we get into the fact that like we could have an electrical grid that's entirely green you know we could do that if we wanted to um so to wrap up my thing i think it's like we just don't know we haven't we haven't run this experiment we haven't pressed ourselves to see you know how much we can get out of the yeah. ecosystem and, and what the sustainable pace is so it's just like i i think ryan's right like there would be there would be material changes. Uh, like like flying does seem to be a big one. Although, I don't know. Maybe we could figure out a way to do like highly efficient biofuels that isn't like, you know, horrible in terms of agricultural.
0: Zeppelin's issues. baby.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Like, Say, I, like, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we could do. And like I was – That's the I, thing. Who, we haven't
1: oriented our technology or because capitalism drives everything. We haven't – driven our energy and our productive and innovative capacities to focus on these kinds of technological solutions, right? I mean, so yeah, like,
2: basically, yeah. Who,
1: who knows what we could do? The right. point is, Jeff, tell me, I get to keep my uzo and I, I could be a champagne and uzo socialist, is what you're saying? I, like, we can I find mean, a I, way. I,
2: I, I don't know why we couldn't keep liquor. I, like, uzo
1: the, uzo right? and champagne <laughs> for everyone, right? Like, that's yeah, possible. They were, uh, we could, they were making
2: mead back in the Viking era. I think we exactly, would be fine with that. Exactly.
1: That's, that's the most important thing. Like,
0: uh... well a little known <laughs> fact that uzo is actually refined out of texas uh, sweet crude uh oil so <laughs> uh,
1: that's you... why it
0: burns on the way down
1: yeah, yeah. good point <clears throat> <laughs>
0: um yeah maybe maybe a, like a a few facts here that that i've stumbled over the last uh the last little bit in terms of um You know, this discussion like I was looking at a uh, Naomi Klein at this uh, conference, a degrowth conference, and um, she was saying that, you know, uh, climate action is, uh, quote, incompatible with economic growth. And I thought it would be interesting to look at a place which has had not no, but very little economic growth over the past decade. Um, And that's the, that's Europe. Um, Europe had, uh, Europe just passed its pre-2008 crisis uh, GDP in uh, April of 2016. So more Mm. or less eight years of nothing. And it's been growing slowly since then. It's like 1.5%, something like that. Not good at all. And the result in terms of like renewable investment has been really bad um so you look at uh clean investment in germany uh fell from a high of about 12 billion dollars in the uh, third quarter of 2010 to less than one billion dollars in the second quarter of uh 2018 pretty much fell steadily with some spikes here and there invent um Investment in uh, Spain was basically flatlined at nothing for all of 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016 and 2017. And only in the last uh, second quarter of 2018 it spiked up a little bit to do about a billion and a half dollars. Same story in Italy, 2013 through 2017, nothing. And um, I, there, I'm i just looking at this uh, B- a Bloomberg data set. I'm sure the same thing is true in Greece. Um, and this, you know, when people say degrowth, well, one way of doing that is austerity. I mean, that's literally what that would take to stop growth from happening is you would have to like sh- like stop the economy from growing with some sort of like contractionary policy. And one one way that could happen is that you just sort of, put the economy in a steady state which continues to just spew out tons of carbon dioxide and that's exactly what germany has done germany's emissions reductions have totally stalled over the past like five years they're down they're at like 9.5 uh uh, metric tons of carbon dioxide per year per person it's uh, like over fifth of the euro uh eu total and they've made very little progress on that um and so I would say degrowth is not enough either, you know? I mean, it's maybe not even related to the problem. It, it depends on the... Uh...
1: But, but, Ryan, if we have austerity measures like in Greece where the suicide rate goes up tremendously and people start jumping out of buildings and killing themselves, that will reduce the carbon footprint and uh, we, can, we can have a, a better world if everyone just kills themselves.
0: This is like the there's, there's like I see people saying there's a secret plot to solve the social security <laughs> crisis like the, the 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 crisis in that it's going this trust fund is going to run out in like 2033 by just handing out opioids to everyone in Appalachia <laughs> oh, so oh, that man. they all die of Oh man we're going to Did we gonna...
1: do we talk about how the uh what was it the the CEO or uh, of the company that manufactured the um the main prescription opioid that is at, the, at the, like the core of the opioid crisis has now patented um, like medication to help people that are addicted to opioids and is profiting from. Uh, like, <laughs> like helping addicts who he essentially like helped become addicts through the profit making of I mean, the opioid he designed to begin with. It's just such a I mean, sick.
2: That, that, that's that's. I mean, bravo to him for a business model, man.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yay, capitalism! Anyway, <laughs> I digress slightly. But
0: uh, yeah, that the, or the the Silicon Valley, like the the jewel valuation is up to some absurd. You know, jewels those little uh, vape pen things and they're candy flavored and they sell them to teenagers but like ex- no, more or less I explicitly don't... marketed to high school kids oh. and the valuation is up to like 100 million dollars or something high and all these silicon valley people are like wow what a growing market it's like <laughs> yeah you're being a drug dealer <laughs> of course yeah, yeah. Selling to, like to be kids. fair
1: when you said jewel i thought of the scandinavian pop star and uh, no,
0: j-u-u-l in this case oh i gotcha you. okay you see okay. him at the drugstore you know right at sort of shoplifting level
1: <laughs> did you guys see this ipcc report that came out by the way uh, mm-hmm. for those who don't know uh ipcc stands for intergovernmental panel on climate change i have uh,
2: i have not looked at it in detail i have uh read like you know the quick and dirty summaries
1: scary headlines mm-hmm.
2: you know um well yeah i think i mean i don't know did anyone else have a thought they wanted to start off with or should i launch it
1: uh, you just have such a wait coops is his sexy deep voice mellifluous i like saying the word mellifluous but it might not properly connote the the deepness of his sexy voice what would you i was gonna say i, I want to hear his mellifluous voice but maybe that's not the right phrase
0: uh, I don't believe we're allowed to say that on the uh, public. Oh mellifluous is stations. gonna be
1: censored? Uh oh. Uh oh. Well okay. Sorry. I'm we'll bleep little... that out later. <laughs> well um I
2: always dude. thought I sounded like, you know, uh, who's the fucking uh, guy who was Darth Vader? Uh oh, oh James, uh, Earl, James Jones. Earl Jones. James Earl Jones if he was a surfer dude. Like I feel that's like my Are you my saying
1: emo. you're James Earl Jones plus the dude? <laughs> yeah, I that's mean, that's not bad. That's I amazing. I don't, I don't, I
2: don't, I don't, I don't want to
0: seem egotistical. If it, if
1: it, th- th- this seems like a great movie, high concept idea. James Earl right. Jones meets the well, no, dude. Like, I, this...
2: I, you know, I do interviews, and uh you know, if 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 it's recorded, I can hear my. I go back and I transcribe it, and I can hear myself, and I'm like. I say like and um and dude and all this other kind of shit <laughs> all the time, but with his really deep resonant voice, and it just now, it's it's a strange effect. Go. All right, who wants who wants to start off the IPCC, Brian, <laughs> or,
0: yeah, um, um, I mean I I looked at it. So just as a bit of background, this is just a sort of interim report, which more or less uh, gives like a quick update on the science, saying that. Um, you know, the 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 risks we're we're now at one degree Celsius of warming right right now basically on an average base ten year average basis. Um we by uh, twenty forty we'll have hit one point five degrees Celsius and the science coming in about the, the dangers of one point five degrees is uh, not encouraging And the dangers of two degrees are even less encouraging. And so, you know, you're just talking about the whole panoply of climate disasters, um, you know, glaciers melting, the sea level rising up by, uh, you know, like half a meter or something, and then going up and up for hundreds of years after that, uh, droughts and floods and um, all that type of stuff.
1: Coops, can I read a passage from, I don't know, do you know this nationalpost.com? I don't know if it's Canadian or what it is, but it seems fairly pro-capitalism. But it's a funny little passage that uh, we can respond to. I think you'll appreciate it. Go ahead. And I quote, One of the persistent problems of these types of reports is that as soon as they're published, activists wave them around as proof that, quote, the scientists are telling us to adopt their preferred agenda. Quote, the world's top scientists just gave rigorous backing to systematically dismantle capitalism as a key requirement to maintaining civilization as a habitable planet, reads a viral tweet by a self-described Minnesota eco-socialist. Fortunately, the IPCC is not advocating the rise of an eco-Stalin. While the report is clear that significant government intervention and even, quote, societal transformation will be needed to stave off the worst scenarios for climate change, it also places much faith in private investment, innovation, and other capitalist measures. Limiting global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius will require a major reallocation of the investment portfolio, it reads... And in a sentiment that would be unfamiliar to the likes of Mao Zedong, the report warns against pursuing reforms at the expense of making, quote, the poor and disadvantaged worst off. Okay. (laughs) I have
2: thoughts.
1: (laughs)
0: Go ahead.
2: Okay. So, like, I mean, the big thing that, at least that I took away from the IPCC report, And this has been building for a while. Like, you wouldn't, if you pay attention to this stuff, you wouldn't need to, this report coming out to know this. But it's like, we're out of time. Like, we need to, uh, I mean, we need to, like, completely eliminate carbon emissions worldwide within the next, Ryan, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's like within the next, like, three decades, probably, um, to stay under 1.5 degrees. uh, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Uh, which is just, I mean, like there is no way in hell that market based systems are going to achieve that. Unlike Yeah, I mean like the, the the quote you read, Alexi, is right in the sense that like that doesn't mean we need worldwide socialism, but it means like whatever institutions and policies we set up, if we achieve this, whatever institutions and policies we use to achieve this massive transformation, it would be absolutely massive, like beyond I think anything I mean it would be it would be historical, it would be precedent setting. Um Like those institutions and systems are not going to be market based. Like they are not going to run on price signals. They are not going to run on private property rights like they are going to be like governments getting together and saying we're doing this Um, and here's what we're doing. And you know, and the, the quote throws at this idea that, like, you know, well, if we had, like, quote-unquote eco-socialism, that would inevitably mean the poor get poor, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, horse shit. Like, what we're talking about here is, like – the main thing we're talking about here is taking away massive amounts of wealth from oil companies. I mean, primarily. Yeah. We're talking about, like, huge oil reserves they have that, because they assume they will eventually be sold, are now valued at enormous sums. We reduce all that value to zero because the oil stays in the ground. And, like, the same applies to – Coal, um, natural gas, probably to a large degree. Um, So we're talking, yeah, we're talking about just eliminating wealth, a huge, huge, huge amount of wealth for a bunch of rich people and corporations. Um, And like, you know, other rich people and corporations may well be able to get in on all like the solar and uh, the wind power and the new grids and everything else we'd have to build to like completely decarbonize. Um, But like, you're talking about a massive elimination of wealth a massive expropriation to like use the the lefty term a massive expropriation of wealth from some very very powerful people who are going to fight you tooth and nail and will accuse you of being socialist for doing it etc etc
1: they they cannot drink my milkshake is the point <laughs> yeah and uh, um
0: yeah i think to your to your point uh jeff about <clears throat> um you know what manner of policy this would be uh i think you're just you're correct to say that you know if if there's going to be any sort of price signals markets or whatever like i'm sure that people will continue to be there will be paying like utility bills and so forth but that will be like a subordinate characteristic of the overall policy and um but you know on the other hand uh I think it's, it's useful to point out that, uh, you know, new investment in clean energy in the United States has been ticking along at a pretty high level, um, at an average of, uh, you know, a bit over $10 billion a quarter, since steadily since about 2011. And 2011 was the peak to, from the Recovery Act stimulus projects going through. But in the second quarter of 2018, that peak was matched, and that peak was matched in spite of Trump basically trying to pull out all of the legs from the Obama climate stuff that was like propping up the the renewable energy markets. But, you know, solar and wind have gotten so cheap that they're just like those those markets are beginning to uh, they're, they're they're functioning in the context of the existing energy system. In an economical fashion like in a in a you know that people are making profits more or less and it's not happening fast enough at all like we're probably two orders of magnitude below where we need to be in terms of like what what we should be doing but i think it's it isn't it is an important data point because you see so many people just like you know it's like ah we need we need to overthrow it was like we could only have, you know, world imperial socialism just like like forcibly overturning all this stuff. Like the, the fact is that the technology is more or less there where it needs to be. If we just had a sufficiently aggressive government policy that was on on par with kind of like New Deal type of stuff, it, uh, that would be that would be probably enough.
1: Can I also just throw some cold water on what the connotations tend to be with like, oh, centralized government, socialist overtake of the market? Uh, first of all, all that really means is that we democratize, we subordinate the market and the, 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 the use of that as a tool to uh, allocate resources and fix prices and so forth. Um, subordinated to democratic understanding of what we need. Like, for example, democracy, the demos, the people realize, shit, climate change is happening. We need to not kill ourselves and have all these problems that be exacerbated. So let's use markets and capitalism to serve us and not destroy us. Like, that is not, a like, a radically scary notion. That's actually taking control over, like, the ways in which we live together, right? Like, so... So not letting markets be um, kind of – making democracy subordinate to the markets and and inverting that is like a liberatory thing. It's not a scary like Stalinist thing or something. Well, it's
2: liberatory for like – 95 99 yeah, that's right yeah <laughs> the, the other it, yeah, it's the remainder it's confisc- who have all right, the power it's,
1: exactly it's confiscatory for the the, the small small percentage right. of people like jeff bezos who apparently did you know this he if he had his wealth in dollar bills he could ha- line them up and go to the moon and back not once not twice not three times 39 times his dollar <laughs> bills would go to the moon and back
2: and you know, he earned every single one of those dollar bills.
1: In 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 ten seconds he earns the, the median amount of his workers in a year. When Good they Lord. work a year for him, yeah. he does that in ten seconds.
2: You know, I I, mean, I I I am in agreement with both of your points. Yeah. I think like when I when I say it's like, you know, the the systems and institutions we come up with to like fix this problem will not be capitalistic. I mean that's what I mean. It's like, you know, just like the government goes out and buys a trillion dollars worth of Solar and wind power that, like you know, the private market is currently able to provide, and it goes out and buys it, not because it's trying to make a profit, because it's just like we need to do this. So it goes out and it yeah. buys it from like a bunch of private companies, and it sets it all up, and it pays people to do it, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like you know, it is, it is the idea that like we decide, you know, the government. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna try not to sound like I. I don't want it to sound like a team MNT or anything like that, but like the government controls the currency, so they can just print the dollars they want. They go out and buy it and they just need to make sure we don't like cause inflationary pressure. That's the only thing they need to worry about. Um and so it's it, it's just like the government saying screw the profit motive. We we don't care. Like I mean the entire the entire sort of you know, economic framework we work under right now of like, you know, we got to worry about the deficit, we got to worry about the debt and you know, the Federal Reserve has got to like, you know, Keep a lid on this shit. I mean, that's all about like treating, treating public finance like, like Alexi said, the democratic control. It's taking the democratic control of the government's unique economic power and trying to subordinate it to the private market, specifically to the profit interests of like wealthy investors. I mean, that's what it ultimately is about. And so you just have the government say, screw that. Like, we need to do this. We have the power to do it. We're going to go do it. And like, yeah, we like this would be done using the accomplishment that like a lot of private markets and investors have already achieved. And the government would just be saying, okay, like on its own, the price signals are not going to make this work in time. So we're just going to like, you know, hop in with the money to buy as much as we need and like, you know, incentive like to just pay them for as much solar power and wind power as we need to like get this done. Uh, Yeah.
1: I like it. I
0: like it. Um one final factoid here which I looked up and I just wanted to mention because <laughs> I see people one common um take that I've seen uh here and there is that air conditioning is somehow a problem. And that what we need to <clears throat> what, what we're in the future we're going to have to be we're going to have to get um get used to being without air conditioning and uh, according to the uh, Department of Energy air conditioning uses up about six percent of uh, United States electricity um, and I, I couldn't find a figure for heating for the uh, United States but I according to some UK government report heating is uh, responsible for about a third of all of the UK Um, emissions and that's you know residential and industrial and so forth and uh those aren't equivalent figures but um you know the electricity sector is not uh is not even the biggest source of carbon emissions itself the transportation sector is now and so like the it like air conditioning is a trivial source of of emissions it's uh um and i think in fact it's going to it's going to be increasingly important for people to be able to live in a lot of places, uh, during the summertime. And, um, you know, the, it's getting a question about efficiency. Uh, people have been making a ton of progress with air conditioning over the, over the like last couple, few decades, um, with, you know, ground based heat transfer, heat pumps and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, the the, the thing about, I guess, to, to finish, the thing about air uh, cooling is that it's a lot easier to do without heating than it is without cooling, you know? Like, if you're in some, if you're in your house, so long as your pipes aren't freezing, you can survive if it's cold. But it gets up to 100, 110, 120 degrees, that's when people start dying. Um, you know, you, you, you can't, humans can't tolerate heat nearly as well as they can tolerate cold, you know? I mean, because we can generate our own warmth inside our bodies.
1: I think that's an important point to end the conversation on, uh, insofar as I think there's this tendency to culturally associate kind of deprivation and sacrifice uh, and suffering as this trade off. Like, capitalism. Right. Putatively gives you luxury and, and all these delightful comforts and socialism and the realities of climate change means you're going to have to face reality and really suffer. And that's just a false dichotomy. It's bullshit. Like there's so much waste with capitalism, but also so many things that don't make us happy or comfortable uh, in any way. And the shift is going to be a dramatic change in what we have to do with our lives, but it doesn't necessarily entail all the terrible things you might think uh, in terms of sacrificing like basic comforts and, and joys. Um, that's just not like it's more complicated than that. Right. So I think that's the conceptually I want people to try to understand um, that these shifts that we would be calling for um, do not necessarily mean you don't get to have um, a happy, comfortable life. Um, but some of the silliness that that goes with the consumerism and, and the nonsense of capitalism will go right.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I I I do remember like I did some work a while back when I was at Think Progress. I did some work on like you know uh, proposals to like I think it was like green. It was it was like green New England or like green a New England state. Uh, I was trying like, am I referring to the right? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, the northeastern corner of the U.S. It was like greening <laughs> those states or one of those states. And I mean, the, the one of the points they made was just like, look, we've already got this, like, electrical based heat pump technology that can, that can do a lot. And if it's purely electrical, then you, you just need to green the grid. And like we said, like, air conditioning is already electrical. So, like, once you green the grid, you're good. Um, and it's uh, – yeah, it's just like there's I, – I think there's this thing that happens where people like who don't – I mean like they're just not thinking these things through or they're not like sufficiently aware of just like you know all the different pieces you can move and where all the possibilities are. But then they just see like, oh, like air conditioning, like it emits so much carbon, et cetera, et cetera. And they just think, well, OK, we got to do without that. And I think Alexi's right that there is a kind of – there is a kind of virtue associated with sacrifice that is just kind of an instinctive kind of atavistic logic that a lot of people reach for. Um, and it's not true a lot of the times and you kind, and it's just this, I, I, I mean, maybe it's a bit cheap to call it virtue signaling, but I think it's basically virtue signaling where it's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to give up all these comforts, and that's going to, like, you know, climate change is ultimately a moral failing on the part of society, and we're going to give up all these comforts and prove ourselves worthy again. I mean, it's 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 a little bit like, you know, tribal sacrifice to the gods, so it will start raining again kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, like, I just, like, you know, these are economic systems. They have mechanical properties. They have physical properties. They have a structural nature, and we can go in and we can play with that. And, like... Like Alexi said, like there's an enormous there's enormous waste within capitalism right now. There's enormous there's use of enormous resources to do shit we don't need. So like we can lose all that and like a small coterie of very powerful people will complain, but the rest of us will be fine and we will actually open up new opportunities. So like there's no way of knowing like what the green world will look like in terms of, you know, living standards and luxury. It might very well be fine. Uh, and I, 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 would like to hold out hope for that because I, you know, I, I, I like my movies and I like my PlayStation and I like, you know, my air conditioning and my heat and I, you know, I, I like mystica. being able to read mystica. books you and like, I like, mystica, like mystica, mystica and I like being yeah. able to travel. Um, and I think those things make life better. And I would like, you know, everybody to have access to those things. And, if, you know, things need to shift around so that, like, access is equitable. Cool. But, like, we should have as much of that as possible to, like, share with everybody. Because that w- makes life better, I think.
1: Preach, brother. Preach.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> someone more expensive to do those things in the future. But I don't think it's necessary to eliminate most of them. Um, shall we move on?
1: All right. So... Now we're going to talk some Jonathan Chait, a fan favorite, um, insofar as the fans hate Jonathan Chait, and they love us for hating on Chait, but (laughs) today we have a Chait take that is more complicated. Perhaps Darth Vader is actually going to help out Luke. I feel like a transformation is at hand here. We have an article... By Chate entitled Two Cheers for Socialism Why Liberals Need Enemies on the Left. And yeah, this is so, gonna,
0: yeah, so if, if Chate is Darth Vader here, he would throw the Emperor down the, the tube <laughs> and then he would throw Luke down the tube after
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. That's true. That's fair. So,
2: you know, so you please know. go ahead. One thing thing I'll start off by saying here, um, and your fan base may hate me for this, but, like, I have a soft spot for Jonathan Chait.
1: Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You
2: know, I've interacted with him on Twitter. Um, uh, I've been following him for a long time. He seems like a nice guy. He has a dorky sense of humor that I appreciate. And, (laughs) you know, he's actually – I think he's actually a really good, like, lucid, insightful critic of the American right. Like, I think that much
0: actually, is true. Yes,
2: I think well, what, he's actually
1: like it, it, Spross, he is, in the, in this piece. As we'll probably see, he's very lucid about how terrible liberalism is, without realizing that he's saying how terrible liberalism well, is. We,
2: we will get to that. We will get to that. But like I was, I was like I mean, you know, if someone asked me like what should I read to understand the American right, I would probably tell them Corey Robin and Jonathan Shade. Those would be the first two names that would come to mind. So all of that is a build up to say it. Really, it, it is such a bummer that like he does not have those same qualities when he is writing about the left. He
0: just just gets very triggered and it's all about the (laughs) feels.
1: (laughs) No, but so, so this piece is like a beautiful melange of uh, passages where I'm like, holy shit, is he socialist now? Like, he is clearly talking about how ineffectual and terrible liberalism is and how politics today to counter the the revanchist you know revanchist uh, reactionary right needs a principled left and and I'm like and then at other moments I'm like, oh so he's trying to reconcile that with his you know aesthetic preference for milk toast uh, as coops might write uh, limp dishrag centrism. <laughs> And Coops, and he he quotes you in this, so maybe I'll, does, I'll pass yeah. pass the baton to you at this point. But uh, I, I don't know how you all felt about this. It was just for me. It was a it's like is he schizophrenic and like part of him is trying to battle that that uh, that last remnant of centrism within him that um, is fighting for like the merits of proceduralism as an end in itself, and he just can't quite realize that uh, he should just forego it altogether.
0: No, I think so. So this this represents a major concession on the part of Chate in that what the what sort of the entire premise of this podcast, more or less, you know, which is that American politics has been missing a left anchor and the left anchor could help liberals define themselves. So so his embrace of Hit, you know, two cheers for socialism is 100% tactical. He thinks socialists are still deranged lunatics who would probably like bayonet his children in their in their sleep. <laughs> but now he <laughs> thinks it might be good to have some of them around for for p- purely instrumental purposes.
1: Yeah, quotes. I he says, quotes. I see the potential rise of socialism as a way for liberalism to restore its vitality.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't believe anything. the uh, the 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 so, see, he thinks the socialists are wrong about everything. In fact, he he thinks that they are l- the flip side of conservatives. That they are they are pitiless yeah. ideologues who see everything through a a lens of a, a political lens, which blinds them to empirical facts of any kind. And so, you know, are 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 basically like potentially just as bad as conservatives if not worse
1: should we slow this down because i i think i'm at least so geeked on the fact that chate has conceded like the main point in politics today that i'm just like running ahead of my whatever the freaking yeah. aphorism is but i like, mean like
2: i have i have several things i want to toss out but like, who wants I
1: mean, to break down his argument before we get into it who wants to break down the basic argument
2: I, well I, I'll,
0: I'll hand that to ryan <laughs> <sighs>
1: um <laughs>
0: I'm, yeah, I'm not, so, I don't, so I, don't I, can, I don't know. Like I like his argument do I don't know. His
2: argument seems to be Want me like, to do it? the the right has like got its mojo back, so like we need the left, the like socialist left to get its mojo back too, so like liberalism can return to its proper place as kind of like the mediating middle ground between
0: those <laughs> two forces. Yeah, uh, the, the vital center. Yeah. As the Arthur yeah. Schlesinger book put it.
1: Yeah, he points out that in Europe, uh, there are actually working class parties on the left. And then the center right parties therefore concede that you need a welfare state and and you should care about the environment and all these reasonable liberal things. But in our weird country, we have no, he admits, we have no leftist, uh, you know, electoral power. And so therefore, we have this kind of what he calls radical right, which eschews all liberalism and just totally is um, extreme, and so he's thinking, if I want this measured center, uh, maybe we need to have two extreme parties in order to, you know, you know, basically pull the right back towards the center. Uh, is his argument. So for liberalism, he admits the ineffectual uh, ability of the current Democratic Party and the centrists to combat an extreme right. And therefore, we might need an extreme left to be able to kind of uh, balance that out.
2: Yeah, and I guess like as a pure cold-blooded matter of a, of like, I guess you could call it like political gravitational physics. I mean, I guess he's right. I mean, you know, like it's, it, 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 if his version of liberalism is going to have a chance to succeed like he does need the left to like be here in this particular moment to like push back at the right and then of course you know hopefully because we only have a two party system once the right has been vanquished in its current form then like you know liberalism and the left can have their death match and he's hoping liberalism comes out on top but i guess like <laughs> i mean like he's not I don't think he's wrong in like the mechanical description of what's going on or like what he sees as the benefits of what's happening.
1: It's just like the, the Big Lebowski. He's not wrong, he's just an asshole. asshole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was I mean, I think that's giving him a little bit too much credit. So like the <laughs> so the in our in our first podcast about Jay, we talked about how he had um, gone back and forth on the question of whether there was a neoliberal turn in the 1970s. For in like the piece in 2017, he said there wasn't. Then he no. In 2013, he said there was. And in 2017, he said there wasn't. That neoliberalism was just a slur. Then he had and re, uh, before this article, he said he sort of tacitly admitted it. Now he's back to his first stance, uh, or no, his second <laughs> stance in so the what's very his, fr- first what's sentence. His explo-
2: What's his explanation for what happened after like 1970?
0: <laughs> uh, he just doesn't talk about it. See, he d- like right, the very first sentence of the article: "Since the New Deal era, American liberalism has had a fairly stable meaning." As complete horseshit. Yeah, yeah. that is That's absolute cool. garbage history. <laughs> and in fact, as we you know, as we talked about before, he has he has sort of tacitly and explicitly admitted that. Um, and on previous occasions.
1: See, what, what he's missing here is the contribution of neoliberalism to the reactionary right, like the ways yes. in which the neoliberal turn actually created the Trumps and, and, and that kind of revanchist response to the deterioration of basically social uh, welfare and social bonds and the shocks that Polanyi says are so important, uh, that, like the, the, the cushions against the shocks of capitalism, right, to protect against uh, the devastating effects of unchecked capitalism. And so he ignores all of that and pretends that like sui generis the reactionary right just like arose from nothing and liberalism was the same all along, right? Well, Mao suddenly for some reason we need the left to be principled and oppose it. And right. so yeah, his history is crap, right? Of course. Well, the thing the thing
2: that stuck out to me like right when I started reading the piece is he has this passage early on where he says like, you know, you know, he. Def- this is his thing where he defines like liberalism as like you know an evidence-based experimental project that does. I mean, he literally says experimentation meant liberals lacked any fixed principle to guide their shaping of the state, but it also meant that it would change with evidence. Um, Bullshit. But then he also. Yes. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. Then he also basically casts liberalism as essentially anti-socialism, and the immediate thing I'm sitting there thinking is like. Well, if liberalism has no principle, you can't guarantee that it's anti-socialist, right? Like, your project, (laughs) by the terms you have set out, your project could arrive at socialism if it's determined by the evidence that socialism is what's necessary. And this gets to Alexei's point that, like, um, the right didn't arise out of nowhere. It arose because, like, we made a bunch of policy choices, like, beginning around 1970. Uh, to just restructure the economy, to restructure the government's role in it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we've had a string of disasters since. And as, like, you know, yeah, we reference Polanyi as he points out the way human societies, like, as a collective organism, often react to this kind of contradiction, to this kind of paradox, is they go nuts and dissolve and defend, descend into fascism. Like he literally, he describes fascism as like a kind of a way for society as a collective organism to like resolve the schizophrenia created by democracy on one side and the market on the other. Yeah. Um, And so we took a turn in the 19th beginning in the 1970s that like heightened those contradictions. And now here we are like, you know, American society is having its collective (laughs) mental break.
1: This is the point that he can't wrap his mind around and liberals often won't admit or see, which is, the whole question of it's either socialism or barbarism is just the reality of what happens when you let unfettered capitalism operate and economic liberalism operate. You're going to get one reaction or the other in order to cushion the devastating effects of it, right?
0: Yeah, right. yeah. And, you know, you talking about this evidence-based stuff, like yeah. he, um, you know, we we're talking about the, the neoliberal turn in the 1970s. Which I think definitely enabled the rise of the radical right, especially after 2008, but but didn't cause it entirely. You know, the civil rights movement had a lot to do with that, I think. And um, you know, in in the you know, concretely in the 1970s, the Democratic Party turned hard to the right on like most economic questions. You know, you're talking about antitrust, talking about taxes, talking about regulation, you're talking about welfare. You know, the the Democratic Party started participating in, like, chipping away on, on all that stuff, you know, and in the case of, uh, you know, Bill Clinton repealing a New Deal policy. You know, re- really, I think that's the, the, the keystone, an irrefutable piece of evidence in the case that the Democrats turned right after, uh, you know, f- compared to the 1930s. Because you're talking about Bill Clinton signing a bill to literally repeal a new deal policy which gave money to poor mothers and they did it on market bullshit ground and this gets to the point of him saying he says in his second sentence in the in the article which is also complete horseshit liberalism meant a mixed economy using uh, using either government or market depending on what the evidence seemed to favor in any given case <laughs> fuck you that's not even close to true this, was look, there this evidence is the same- supporting welfare reform uh- The same
1: fucking trope The same trope And this is the Ezra Klein bullshit That you know It's funny He quotes some Excellent critiques Of liberalism From Boscar From a number of people Um liberalism is bullshit for a number of reasons but the main reason is it pretends it's the only non-ideological ideology right that just has like objective facts uh and empirical evidence that guides it it's just about like what's excellent without regard to any norms or any you know actual values beyond like some objective notion of what's good for society which is an absurdity in in philosophical terms anyway but like it's total bullshit that there was evidence, as you say, for these things. And instead, it is reactionary in so many ways, not just Clinton being reactionary in economic liberal ways. But, like, it's no coincidence that the 1994 crime bill was a Clinton project and that both Hillary and Clinton called, you know, young black men super predators along with everyone else. And mass incarceration was exacerbated, like, in the extreme. This went part and parcel with promoting capitalism, Right.
0: Yeah. 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 And in fact, you know, Bill Clinton in his press conference, he's he made an explicitly moral argument about why we should get rid of welfare reform. He was signing the bill. He said he wanted to get people to be able to earn a check, not a welfare check, a paycheck, not a welfare check. And so he's saying that making money through labor market institutions is explicitly more morally praiseworthy than making money through uh, uh you know, a welfare program. Meritocracy,
1: baby. Meritocracy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the actual concrete effect of that policy was to increase extreme $2 a day poverty in the United States by about 150%, according to the studies that I've read. Um, And maybe an even even more better concrete example is Obamacare. You know, you're you're talking about (laughs) a a ludicrously jerry-rigged policy. The market (laughs) exchanges... They suck. We, Everyone hates them. They're terrible. Can we They're read terrible. this
1: quote from Chait on Obamacare? It's unbelievable. Where, where, Go ahead. Can you guys? Can you guys find this? Let me. Let's see. It's it's this passage where he talks about how liberalism basically is only instrumental, <laughs> and that if it didn't work, it wouldn't be worth doing. Essentially. Um,
0: Republicans believe tax cuts and deregulation increase economic growth, just as Democrats believe Obamacare helps people afford insurance and that regulating air pollution increases health. The difference is that practical reasons are the only justification for liberal policy. If Obamacare did not help people afford medical care or pollutions did not improve air quality, they would have no liberal justification at all.
1: The hilariousness, of course, is that Fucking socialist healthcare is way more efficient and pragmatic and practical and cost-saving, right? Obamacare yes. is a ridiculous way to do healthcare.
0: I was talking to my sister the last weekend, and she's saying that they literally they literally can't afford it. the The premiums are like twenty thousand dollars for a year's worth of coverage for her and her husband, and the deductible is like fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, this is this
2: is this is the thing about Obamacare, right? It's like the, the the crown jewel of Obamacare was supposed to be the the new individual marketplaces, which, as you guys have just laid out, are basically like, I mean, they're a mess. And I don't know, maybe that's strong, but like maybe not just like inconsequential, like they haven't moved the needle that much, save for like a small slice of people like at the who are just make just enough money to not be able to do medicaid but are but are only just right like they're at the very bottom of the pile of the people who can get the subsidies in the individual market and that's really the only place where the subsidies are generous enough to like you know move the move the needle in terms of people's experience and living standards and like that doesn't even get into the fact that like you know the the plans on the individual marketplaces are not nearly regulated enough i mean it's like you could you could do an individual marketplace like this in theory that would work and like achieve everything we wanted to achieve but it would have to be the subsidies would have to be way way bigger and it would need much <laughs> stricter regulation on all sorts of points and so the irony of all this is that the thing the medicaid expansion which was supposed to be like the backstop just a thing to kind of fill like plug some gaps is been like the most successful the part of the yeah, bill. It's the, the, the thing – right. the people who benefit from it like the most. People like being on Medicaid. They do not like being in the private exchanges. Um, it is the part that has probably gained the Democrats the most political cred. It's the part that arguably stopped the Republicans from repealing Obamacare. Um, so, yeah, it's like the, the one part of the bill that like actually expanded the single-payer system is the only part that has really paid major dividends.
1: Yeah, it's it's the exact opposite of what Chait is saying. Right. The idea that Obamacare is great because of how well it works and how practical it is—it's the opposite. Like the right. reason we got that is for ideological reasons. Like yeah. the and opposite of
2: worship. Right. right. I would I would actually and I would actually take this point a bit further. Um, like I, I don't think you could say like the last few decades is like was like governed by a regime of liberalism in the way Chate wants it or like Chait's ideal. Like you know we had to contend with Republicans in power. Blah 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 blah. But from 2008 to 2010, I think you could say Chait's form of liberalism had its moment in the sun. And what happened? Well, we got Obamacare, which we just discussed. But the other thing that happened is that the government utterly, catastrophically lowballed the amount of stimulus it would need to like, rebuild the economy and prevent the kind of like you know, Polanyi rev- rise of revanchist fascism that, like, happens when you have this kind of catastrophic collapse.
1: And the other thing they did was they
2: fed, like, millions of homeowners into the foreclosure maw to, like, prop up Wall Street. Like, by by Chait's own metric of, like, evidence-based technocracy to improve human flourishing, liberalism's moment in the sun was a catastrophic failure. I mean, they completely screwed the pooch. Yeah. Um, Poor it, and it, yeah. And it's just... It, I mean, I I don't know exactly like what to draw from all that except for like I think at a very basic level, if you're going to say well, liberalism is about evidence-based technocracy to like improve human flourishing, well, the first thing you have to de- the first thing you have to say is like, well, define human flourishing, and I don't think you can really define that without getting into those fixed principles that like Chait says right. you shouldn't have, or that liberalism That's benefits right. from not That's having. That's
1: the sneaky little move. Right, and the other thing is that like this is. This is this – is, liberalism
2: as he envisions it is a movement carried out by human beings and human beings like have like ideological blind spots even if they're like, you know, not part of the revanchist right or the rising socialist left. Like they have assumptions and they have groupthink and I mean like everything that happened that we just described was like – I mean like yeah if you were doing like an evidence-based approach to repair American health care, you just pass a goddamn single payer bill because like they've had those in other countries and they work fine so just do that. Like the reason the reason we did what we did with Obamacare was because like there was like you know we were we were trying to be too clever. We were like oh no 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 there's all this other like special shit we need to do because of like
1: it's, yeah <laughs> This is not something that has never been done by anyone else in the world before where it's like oh Jesus Christ what right. what options we have to we have to game out all these like variables no one has ever figured out how to give healthcare to people like it's so complicated you know how are we going to do it like the rest of the world has done this with way less wealth far right. better at more efficient Anyway, it's just... Right. It's not yeah, it. I mean, like, there there are arguments
2: for doing it the way we did it. It's just evidence-based pragmatism isn't one of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. No, Why it's the 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 opposite. pockets of Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, we have a giant for-profit healthcare industry that we're afraid of... Uh, healthcare industry and health insurance industry that we're afraid of pissing off. Uh, you know, yes. we have yes. this, you know, random decision that we're not going to spend more than a trillion dollars in the first decade that we just like a limit we just assigned to ourselves for no particular reason and we want it to be market-based because like that that's, makes us feel it. like very serious people. Like this I don't, is, No, yeah. this
1: is the core of it. This is the core of it, right? Liberalism is cover for fucking oligarchs to line their pockets. And it's cover under the ideology that pretends that like proceduralism and objective empiricism and technocracy and the values of norms and procedures and democratic ideals of all this objective bullshit, right? That presides the cover for the actual power grab of the capitalists. And that's the shit that he hasn't come to terms with.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, norms and rules and procedures um, for what system? Defined how? Like, you know, norms and rules and procedures don't just emerge out of the ether. Like, society designs them and designs them based on some fixed underlying principles. And, like, the some of the fixed underlying principles in this case are, like, you know, property ownership, price signals, blah, 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 blah. And, um... I mean, like, one of the things you could say for socialism is that, like, socialism is simply an effort to bring, like, the procedural norms of democracy into the economic sphere, which, like, intrinsically requires, like, if not eliminating, you know, ownership of the means of production, like, utterly changing it. It's just as one example and like, uh, you know, limiting the role of markets and like the Polanyi fashion. We're talking about subordinating them again to like a larger democratic structure. Um, right. So, like, yeah, I think like like Chait's confused about the premises of his own argument. Like he's making distinctions that actually aren't there to a large extent.
1: No, he has good arguments, but. He just doesn't realize what that that entails, what that should lead him to believe uh, as a result of it. Like, for example, he understands how terrible liberalism is in certain points. Uh, He realizes it's just proceduralist, right? He says liberals, in contrast to both, define freedom as a process, the following of democratic norms and and rules. He uh, talks about – I mean, essentially at the end of this, he basically says that we have a class war, but we only have – one side the reactionary right that's waging it so we need the other side to to like like he admits liberals cannot um you know be the team to fight against the reactionary right they're not interested in the class war so we need some like wing of the party to be interested in that class war and we need it uh so so he's kind of realizing all these things without understanding what an indictment that is on liberalism writ large, right?
2: Well, this gets, back, this gets us back to the evidence-based thing, right? Like, you know, if if the, if, the, if the radical right is prepared to defend, like, you know, a massively extractive unequal society with, like, all the property rights built up to protect, like, a small class of people, um, I mean, how do you unwind that? in a way that couldn't be defined as class war. Like, I mean, by definition, there is a class of people who have an enormous amount of power and property, and it needs to be taken away from them. I mean, period, end of discussion. Like, that's the only way to fix the problem. And the reason this is a problem is that if things, like, keep going down the structure, with the structure, if we continue down the path set by the the economic structure we have now, we get Trump and we get worse. Like, you know, this is, like, a material, this is ultimately a material critique. It is saying, like, our economy and society, as it exists now, has certain structural features, and those structural features are going to lead it to cannibalize itself. And like that's not that's not an ideological statement. That's actually like just an attempt to define how the mechanism works. And right. if that argument is correct, then how do you promote human flourishing and avoid catastrophe without a class war?
1: No, that's that's a good point. Yeah. I, so as much as there is ideology involved, he's also. Partially understanding, but partially ignoring the empirical evidence of what's required in order to um, to cope with the reality on the ground, right? And so um, I, I do appreciate how he gets the fact that, say, uh, socialism, and he talks about how, and, and we've all talked about this before, it may or may not believe in equality. This is to quote him. May or may not believe in any of the following: public ownership of the means of production, abolish, uh, abolition of profit, confiscation, uh, or extremely onerous taxation of private wealth. da da. But then he says, perhaps the most common defining trait distinguishing socialists from liberals is not any specific program, but a belief that capitalism is irredeemable. And he's spot on about that. That's right. That's the point, right? And and he's coming. I think to realize, hopefully, uh, along with others, that that is the crux of, of the thing, right? Like, once you realize that capitalism is irredeemable, you see, like, so many, uh, like, you can make sense of all these things. You get the history right. You understand all, how all these pieces of the puzzle fit together. And, and, and I think he's in that, that confused state where he's kind of almost got it.
2: I think, like, right, he's, he's stated that there there is a conclusion, i.e. socialism, that liberalism cannot possibly come to, but liberalism is also an evidence-based project without fixed principles. So what if the evidence leads you to socialism, right? Like, he's he's set, like, an a priori limiting factor on himself that, like, his own description of his project doesn't justify, and, like, he might be about to—he may be, like, on the verge of realizing that, like— this thing he says this conclusion he says liberalism cannot come to is maybe the, the, the like the conclusion that like his own assessment of what's in front of his eyes is forcing him to come to like i don't know we'll see what happens yeah. anyway Do i don't know re- we've been babbling for a while ryan what what's your
0: <laughs> jump in buddy um well we've been we've been going for a bit i think that um maybe as a as a sort of final final comment here um we might talk about chate's sort of uh, repeated Trashing panic of the left. over over being uh, that he's about to be put in a gulag.
1: <laughs> yeah, he trashes um, the left at some point. We forgot about that. Yeah.
0: Well, he 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 describes um, Sean McElwee as a <laughs> as a sort of lefty Grover Norquist. This was um, amazing to me. This was but,
2: I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Sean might appreciate that descriptor. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> we should ask him. We should have him on. And well, ask but him. This, previously.
0: This. Um, <laughs> he 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 got in a conversation with adam serwer in which he he basically said that if 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 macklewee's faction were to come to power he would worry they're going to set up gulags to imprison him specifically
1: (laughs) which is hilarious because like obviously this this ridiculous fear that he has is grounded in such an irrational appraisal of the situation he i mean just on a on like an evidentiary basis, he calls McElwee someone who is kind of like a purger of heretics on the left when when Sean is clearly somebody who's trying to broaden the left and wants to bring in as many people as possible and and like unite the diverse approaches to kind of empowering and uh, creating as much of a powerful left as possible. so it's it's just like on its face, absurd, right?
0: Yeah, spe- specifically here. I just looked it up. He said, uh, "Sir, where says you think Sean was calling for the mass murder of his political opponents?" And Chade says, <laughs> "Through policy, I suppose, but yes."
2: <laughs> but like, right? Okay. But like, but that's the thing, right? Like, if we're talking about like the mass murder of his opponents through policy, quote unquote, yeah, that's the fucking mean, what liberals. What is, is that like mass? Is that like metaphorically speaking, it's mass murder when in fact what's only happening is like you know we're slapping tax rates on them that mean you can't like make more than like three or 4 million a year in today's dollars. Cause that's what you would get. If we went back to Eisenhower's tax rates. I mean, like, <laughs> like is that like, what we mean by like mu- murdering them in the policy like, sense we're, of the word we're
1: murdering, we're murdering free speech metaphorically by not allowing Richard Spencer to speak on campus or some shit like that. Like
0: a better example of this is like he later on in the article, he, he criticizes, um, um, Will Meneker and from the the Chapo, one of the Chapo guys, as uh, saying that um, he he tweeted that I really hope Eli Lake gets to be the Michael Kelly of the Iran War, and he you know he says that this uh, uh, you know Chapo's rhetoric habitually runs towards violence. Um, And what happened, Michael Kelly, as I think we've mentioned before, Michael Kelly uh, was this, like, incredibly jingoistic pundit in the run-up to the Iraq War. He was embedded with a, uh, you know, an army unit in the invasion, and the the Humvee he was in turned over in a ditch, and he drowned, along with a driver, the soldier. And he was the first journalist to die in the Iraq War. Um, And I guess the, the... the you know the you know the 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 thing about the the violence here is that it was the the war was the violent part. No, that's this the actual
1: is, violence. That's the fucking violence, not the discourse, not the like fantasy that Will Meneker might have about some dude and like being happy that some jingoistic bastard is dead. Like that's not actually violence. That's just discourse. That's talk. Okay. Like, yeah. The, and f- the actual, and f- but yeah
0: and fury at, at the nature of you know th- this this kind of double standard whereby people are 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 allowed to they're allowed to make them you know make arguments for inflicting horrifying violence on other people right. using other people to do that violence and while themselves you know being normally completely out of the, uh, you know, a Kelly being the very rare exception of the, 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 you know, the, the, the warmonger who actually got killed. And this is, I mean, it's literally a George Orwell quote, which I looked up from homage to Catalonia. He says, uh, mm. perhaps when the great, the next great war comes, we may see that site unprecedented in all history, a jingo with a bullet hole in him.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is say like, yeah. this is
0: stakes, you know, this is about stakes. And these oh pe- people God. are making real arguments about, you know, mass mass murder. That was the Iraq War, a program of mass murder.
1: Right, actual lives are being ended. People are actually suffering, and we're concerned with the discourse and the norms of civility. Uh, like punching yeah. a Nazi is a problem. Okay, the Nazi got punched. He's gonna have to ice his face a little bit. Do you know what the uh, the Nazi wants to fucking fucking establish? like what violence he actually wants to happen. Yeah. It, it It's the weirdest like misapprehension of reality that you could even imagine. It's like the most deluded I, I just, privilege, right? Like it's the blindness of privilege that allows you to think that real problems are on Twitter and with kind of people being mean and their thoughts in their heads and the way that people talk to each other or if they're allowed to speak on campus – this, this world where that's the real violence, that's the problem, or the real divisiveness, is just so removed from reality that we need to, like, splash water on their face, you know, so they can come around. Or they need to see Trump actually, you know, putting kids in concentration camps until they wake up and realize that they need the left, maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, I think we've been going probably long enough. Any final comments here?
2: Uh, I had one, I, you know, one thing this, this actually made me think about was like my own political trajectory. Um, I, uh, so I, I, started writing about politics, uh, in 2008, um, because the economy collapsed and I couldn't find work. So like I needed something to do with myself. So I started blogging and podcasting and like, you know, taught myself the basics of economic policy and healthcare policy. Cause that shit was hot. Um, because it was like, yeah, what the fuck just happened? Um, and back in 2008, like my my blogging from then is still online. Like, you can go like in, in intrepid people listening to this podcast could probably nice. go Google it and find it. I won't tell you the specific <laughs> things to Google, but I'm sure you
1: can, oh.
0: you should
2: <laughs> oh, you, can, you they can go they can go l- l- track cracker. it down. Give we'll them
1: a little crumbs to find it.
2: Yeah, I um uh, I, I did, there are big Lebowski references. Let's just put it that way. <laughs>
1: um,
2: like I was. I was a big fan of technocracy in two thousand eight. Like I thought, like you know, Ezra Klein and Matt Iglesias were my two gurus. Like charts all day, man. Like yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I yeah. thought Obamacare was a brilliant piece of policy. I thought the EITC was better policy than the minimum wage hike, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, ten years later. I'm not exactly sure how to define myself. I know Ryan wrote that post about like he considers himself a democratic socialist a little while ago. And like the way he laid that out, that makes sense to me. So I have obviously shifted very hard left. And the thing I keep asking myself is why did I shift? And the best I can say is that like my values, my, my fixed principles, my values have not changed. What changed was like what I learned. And what I experienced and what I figured out about the economy and policy and also about history and about politics and about, like, how human beings react to stressors, like, on a collective basis and all the other things. So, like, I think, like, I moved left based on the evidence is perhaps the best (laughs) way to put it. (laughs) So it's like – and that's kind of like maybe that's why, like, I have a soft spot for change because I went down that path. But it's also like why now, like, I I watch him, like – Write these things, and I'm just like, dude, like, like yeah. I said, like, as I've already said, I think, like, the premises of that article contradict themselves almost right out of the gate. Um, and I don't know, maybe he'll figure that out someday because Th- that was that was evidence. beautiful, man. Because <laughs> and that
1: I would just say that that not only was that beautiful, that reminds me uh, of a quote. I don't know if Dave Kybe said this, I don't know who, who told me this, but uh, essentially, the quote is almost all radical leftists were once liberals. Yeah. Like the like essentially. That's 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 where he started. In you this start. country. In this country. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that there's some hope in that, right? Look, if yeah. we can turn Chate to the dark side, if we can, <laughs> then we can turn anybody, right?
0: Yeah, he doesn't know the power of
1: <laughs>
0: the uh you we've we've single-payer system. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've kind of mixed our uh, illusions because he was Darth Vader, but we're bringing him to the dark side now, so now it's, it's all confused. It's, uh, it's the, okay.
2: Oh, Ryan, ben would, ben would kill us for that mixed metaphor.
1: <laughs>
0: it's Star Wars. Star Wars is bullshit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, the hate mail. The hate mail is going to pour in now. Damn it. Which what reminds us, done? Ryan, what, where should people email us to tell us how much they hate us? <laughs> um oh yeah email
0: us at uh left left anchor podcast at gmail.com uh, care of jeff's Bros. um <laughs> and oh also for for folks who feel like it p- please definitely go to uh review the the podcast on itunes or uh elsewhere that has reviews yeah. that definitely We've really us
1: really appreciated those that have done that already it really heartens us and uh we have big, warm hearts now, so thank you. Yeah.
2: And who, kn- who knows? Maybe maybe they'll even let me come on a second time. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, if well, you play your cards right. do count your chickens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, wait for the, we'll wait for the listener feedback first, of course, yeah. in this capitalist system. It'll we'll, be an we'll, evidence-based uh, decision. We'll, <laughs> we'll see the price signals. I don't know. It's good. Um. Uh, thanks, buddy. It's been yeah. great you're welcome thanks
2: for having me on I'm, I'm i'm well into my second glass of whiskey at this point so i hope ah, i'm baby. still coherent there at that's the end
1: that, that's what i'm talking about next time we'll start after you've had two and we'll see how that goes
2: i like that plan
1: <laughs> all right everybody tune in next time for more nonsense and fun
0: and thanks for listening all right see later. later see you later